Hi everyone. <laughs> Welcome back to Crime Colts and Coffee. I'm Kelsey. I'm Bren. So we're sitting in a really hot room that smells like laundry detergent. It really does. <laughs> it's kind of comforting, but also overwhelming. And a little much. <laughs> it's a little much. I feel like it's marinating in the room. Yeah. Along Plus with it's me. just yes. I'm yes. marinating. <laughs> Slather me in barbecue sauce. Ew. <laughs> You want to talk about your trip this weekend? Yeah. So, as mentioned in, it will be two weeks ago, you heard in in an episode that I was going to Salem. Mm -hmm. I went this past weekend, and it was so much fun. We stayed right in the heart of Salem. We were literally walking distance from everything. Mm -hmm. We stayed, as as I mentioned in the other episode, we stayed in the oldest um B&B mm-hmm. in Boston or in Massachusetts I'm shook that you guys got like that house yeah. <laughs> and one of the oldest in possibly the oldest in the United States they're not Holy really quite shit. sure yeah it was from 1667 the fact that you guys got to like stay in that though yeah. in itself is crazy that like you guys found it and you were able to stay there yeah That's cool. and some shit happened <laughs> yeah I told she came bring him over earlier and she's like some things happened, and I'm like, don't tell me yet. Yeah. Wait for the podcast, because I want to hear it, but I it want wasn't, you to say. It wasn't, like, super extreme or anything, but, I mean, I was saying before we even got there that I definitely felt that there was going to be some kind of energy yeah. in that house. Yeah. Good energy, but just energy, like, whether it be someone from, like, long ago, or just like, residual energy, because it it has always been... It's an old a house. A B&B, or, like, people living in it, so people just coming and going, you know? Yeah. So, the second we got in there, we went up to our room, and it was really late at night. We got in at, like, 11, and shout out Amanda and Kaylee. That's who I was with this weekend, and they both listened. They... Kaylee went to go to the bathroom, and she came back, and then I went to go to the bathroom, and I came back, and Amanda went and came back, and we were all like, there is something in that bathroom. Ew! Yeah. So, any t- basically, anytime we went in the bathroom, it feels like someone was watching you. Oh, my There was God. a chair near the toilet, like, that I felt definitely had something connected to it. And when you were in the mirror, like, looking in the mirror, it was that feeling where you expected at any moment to be looking in the mirror and see someone standing behind you. Ew! Yeah. Wait, did you, like, subconsciously post that picture of the chair, or was it on purpose? What chair? You posted a picture of a chair. Oh, on, Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, no! On our Instagram account no. about, uh, like, being a ghost uh, in the chair or no, something. No, that wasn't on purpose! <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, there was a ghost in the bathroom chair, and then there was also something with the tub. So, luckily... Ew. I, this is going to sound disgusting, people might think I'm disgusting, but whatever. Luckily, I showered Friday morning before we went. And didn't? I did not shower until I got home Sunday night because I was so weirded out by the tub. And it was also kind of a weird situation where since it was so old and the floors were so old, you had a shower with the curtain tucked inside the tub. So you'd be like standing on like... Ew curtain. <laughs> it was really weird. Curtain. It was really weird. And of course on Saturday I spilled a bunch of matcha in my hair and I was like, okay, Ew. I'm gonna just smell like old milk. <laughs> no, it's really that's not that abnormal. I'm sure people have gone a day, a day without, without showering. Yeah. But uh so that happened and it was really weird. So the first night we were there we decided to do some tarot. Mm-hmm. And then after we did tarot I was like, let me see if I can pick up on anything in this room. So, 
I started trying to do, like, a reading, Mm -hmm. and I had a notebook page full of stuff, but it was very all over the place. Like, I felt like there was, like, multiple energies, and I couldn't pinpoint... I'm still trying to, like, figure that out, where I couldn't, like, pinpoint certain things to certain people. Like, Mm -hmm. it was, like, all over the place, but... It was really strange because I brought up an outhouse and I was like, was there an outhouse outside of this B&B? Like, is that, like, was there one there? Yeah. And I, we didn't know. And then I brought up fire. Like, I felt, it was very strange. I felt like I was having a hard time breathing and my throat was like, like from smoke inhalation. Oh my God. And... I kept bringing up fire, and then I brought up, um, what was it? It was, like, a woman, I also brought up a woman's name, and then we ended up finding, like, looking into it and finding out that the woman's name I brought up, I forget what it was at this point, but there was a woman that died in a mysterious circumstance, like, she was found, her body was found, like, charred from a fire, and no one knew how she even caught fire. And then in the I house? said, not in our house, oh. just in, in the area. Oh, okay. And I said, Amanda ended up falling asleep. So then I said to Kaylee, okay, for some reason I'm getting like stomach pains. Like it, my stomach's like killing me. Yeah. And we ended up reading after the fact, after me saying that, that they went, it was like strange circumstances and someone told them to look into it a second time or something, and they looked into it a second time and found the woman was stabbed in her stomach. What? The yeah. same woman? Yes. What the Yes. Fuck? So then, later on, further down the line, oh, I also brought up a... And she used the outhouse before. Yeah, no. <laughs> no. And I also brought... It was all over the place, but then I also brought a, up a, uh... I forget the woman's name now. I can't think off the top of my head, but... It ended up being a name of a woman that was hung in the witch trials. Oh my god, really? Yeah. And then Kaylee, she was, like, trying to, like, hone in on some stuff. Yeah. And she ended up getting some things that also were, like, we looked it up and it was, like, accurate. Really? And then as she was talking, all of a sudden I was like, I got the name Cornell. And I was like, I don't know if it's the college or, like, a last name or something. Mm-hmm. We looked at the college, and apparently, which I did not know, Cornell University has the largest collection of witch- witchcraft trial documentation. What? Yeah, like, they house all of it. Oh, my God, And then weird. we looked up the last name Cornell, and there was, like, a person in the area with that last name who lived in the area and died, like, in whatever way I described it. I don't remember now. But it was really strange. And then in the middle of the night, we all woke up completely dripping in sweat at the same, like, around the same time. It was, like, 3 in the morning. Of course. Yeah, and I woke up after them, I think, because Amanda, Kaylee said she woke up and Amanda was already sitting up. Really? Yeah, and was like, oh my god, it's so fucking hot in here. And the next morning, I woke up and I was like, I was dripping last night, and they were like, shut up. Like, we had to turn the air on because it was so hot. Really? Was that Friday night? Saturday night. Oh, that's so yeah. weird. And then... Because I woke up at 3 a.m. as well, like, drinking really? sweat over the weekend, but it was Friday night. Oh, my God. And I was up for, like, a half hour. Yeah, that's it was weird. so strange. That's yeah. really weird. Yeah. Yeah, and then there was one point where, out of the corner of my eye, the first night we were there, out of the corner of my eye, I saw 
a woman behind Kaylee, Ooh. and I didn't want to say anything, so I was, like, I saw, like, brown hair, yeah. and I was, like, I'm not going to say anything yet, and then all of a sudden, she's, like, oh, my God, I felt like someone just touched the back <laughs> of my hair, and I was, like, okay. I have to tell you. I was, like, you for your own sake. <laughs> yeah. I was, like, you have a woman standing behind you. Yeah. And then at was one she point, we visibly saw her hair go out and fly in front of her face. Was she freaked out? No, we were, because... It wasn't, like, bad energy. Yeah, it was just, it like, was just there. there. Yeah. yeah. Oh and then we God. ended up, Saturday night, we went on a ghost tour, and I caught something on film with that. I have to show you. What? <laughs> you didn't show me it? Yeah, we went on a ghost tour in Salem. It wasn't the greatest ghost tour, but, oh, back to the outhouse before I forget. Yeah. Uh, the Saturday morning, we did a tour of our B&B. Uh-huh. And the guy was, like, a full-blown historian, knows everything about everything. Mm-hmm. And... He was like, oh, he was randomly talking, and he, he mentioned fires a couple of times, and Kaylee, and the man I kept staring at me like, <laughs> <laughs> and then all of a sudden, he was like, oh, and the outhouse was right out there, and we were like, okay, I'm like, there, I was like, where exactly was it, because I feel like there's something with that, Yeah. and he's like, it was either this side of the yard or this side of the yard, and the one side, I also have a picture from the first night we were there with a weird image in it. Really? Yes. Oh my god, after you're showing me these. Yes. That's insane. But long story short, I want to go back. I love Salem. Yeah. It felt like a second home. I want to go. It's right right on the water, like on the port. It's so fucking beautiful. Did you beautiful. find any good coffee places? Yes, there are a couple there. Really? The ones had shitty lids because uh, that's how I spilt matcha all in my hair. But <laughs> Oh my god, one of my patients came in the other day with third degree burn on his wrist <gasps> from a cup at Duncan. Are you kidding a me? A cup lid at Duncan, yeah, falling off. And oh? I was, he, like, pulled it off, and I was like, holy shit, what oh happened? He's like, and there was, like, the burn was, like, drip marks down <gasps> his arm. Oh, my gosh, that's that's like, awful. Holy shit. Uh, yeah, it was bad. But enough. I probably talked, like, 15 minutes just about <laughs> Salem. Some people probably turn this off. But Should if you haven't been to Salem, go to Salem, because it's I it's really want to go. It's awesome. I went to the the uh, Ropes Mansion, which is a house in Hocus Pocus. Ah. I went to the Town Hall from Hocus Pocus. I went to the House of the Seven Gables. We did a lot of historical tours when we were there. I love that. I want to do that. Yeah. Should we talk about our coffee, speaking of coffee? Yes. Uh, Today's coffee was actually gifted to us again by Ashley. Ashley! (laughs) Thank you so much. She she went to Hawaii and brought us coffee back from Hawaii. I think that's cool as shit. Yeah. Thank you so much. This one is Kai Coffee, K-A-I Coffee, um, and it's from Hawaii, like we mentioned. Yes. Do you want to tell their website? Yes. The website is KaiCoffeeHawaii.com, and again, it's K-A-I Coffee. Hawaii.com. Yep. And their Instagram is also Kai Coffee Hawaii, spelled the same way. Yes. So this one that we have today is Kai Espresso Blend, and the tasting notes are toasted coconut, raw cacao, and brown sugar. And this one is a whole bean coffee as well. Yeah, we won't go too much into their about me since yeah. this was a gifted coffee. As we've mentioned in the past episodes, we kind of try to save that for the coffee places that send us stuff as our little special thank you and dive deeper into them. So Yeah, I'm just going to read a little bit them. of a blurb um, from the bag here. It's a tiny bit of their um, story, but it says, We go through great lengths in training our team to continually treat this unique coffee with aloha. We promise to bring you only the finest roasted coffee. Our single origin coffee and signature blends are ideal for you to enjoy at home as a gift from the islands. 
cute yeah it's cute and it was a gift from the island thank it you to was. ashley thank you so much ashley they also on their bag which i thought was really cool because we're always so fucking confused um it gives you brewing guidelines of like how much coffee per perfect. water <laughs> perfect for the coffee maker the inept coffee makers <laughs> literally we review coffee and we don't know how to use it in a coffee machine <laughs> sometimes we're like we'll just throw it in a k-cup i don't well, know because you know it when you, it's your own machine, but when we're yeah. using mom's machines, I'm like, how the hell do I even I know. use this coffee grinder? Like, I really have no idea yeah. how to use it, let alone the actual machine. Yeah. And on their Instagram, I said to Kelsey before we started that their coffee art, like their latte art, is so cute. So make yeah. sure to check it out. Their shop looks really clean, very cute. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so definitely check them out. And all right, so how would you rate this coffee? So, I'm going to talk about what I'm tasting first. I mostly taste the cacao. Yeah, me too. And a little bit of the aftertaste, I could see how there might be brown sugar. Like, it's like the sweeter or whatever. Sweet side of it, yeah. But I really don't taste the coconut at all. Definitely not. No coconut. Yeah, it's... I don't really taste the notes that much. It's not, like, distinct with the notes. Right. I like... Whenever it's a coconut coffee, I like it to be, like coconutty yeah but maybe other people don't I don't really taste the coconut either but I, t- I definitely taste the cacao and I feel like the cacao is like an acquired taste too like a lot of people don't like what it tastes like yeah I feel like the coffee's good but not the best that we've tried so yeah. I would rate this as six yeah I would agree I would rate it a six as well definitely not one of my favorites but it's not like it's a bad coffee. I don't think we've ever right. tried a bad coffee. Yeah. Well, besides that Starbucks one. Oh, the yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Starbucks. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Starbs. Yeah. So, uh, I think that about sums up our coffee review for this week. You ready to get started? Yeah, let's do it. So, grab, so grab your, your coffee, coffee and, and have, have a morning with us. So, today's episode, I'm personally super excited about. I was just saying, Bryn loves all the historical episodes. Yeah, you should have seen me in Salem doing all the historical tours. <laughs> yeah, you're probably, like, with your fanny pack. And, like, <laughs> I didn't have a fanny Ooh, pack. Ooh, show me this. Yeah. Uh, we actually, I forgot to mention before, the guy that did our tour for the B&B, he showed us three rooms and we spent an hour and a half talking to him because we yeah. kept asking questions and questions. And questions. Wait, was it only you three on the tour? Yes. I was going to say. <laughs> I was going to say, if there was more people, they were probably like, what the fuck? <laughs> we had so many questions. <laughs> but anyway, today's episode is about the wonderful dun, Amelia. Dun, dun. <laughs> you always do the dun-dun-dun before I It's to throw you off. <laughs> the wonderful Amelia Earhart. Yeah. And she was an incredible woman. Yeah. So sit back, relax, and listen. And if you don't like history, like, when you were younger and you just blacked out, like me, you'll learn something. Yeah. I mean, I obviously knew who she was. Yeah. But I didn't know all these details, and we definitely get into, like, some of the weird um, theories that they're, they're Yeah. Because, cl- I mean, anyone listening probably knows Amelia Earhart disappeared. Yeah. So... We're going to get into that. Yes. But first, we're going to talk a little bit about her background because this is super important to know the woman she was. Yeah. So she was born Amelia Mary Earhart. She was born July 24th, 1897 in Atchison, Kansas, which is, we've never had anyone from Kansas that we've covered, right? Mm -hmm. You really don't hear that often. No. She was born in the home of her maternal grandfather, Alfred Gideon Otis. Her father was Samuel Edwin Stanton Earhart. I guess they called him Edwin. Hmm. He was born in 1860, 
1867 and died in 1930. Her mother was Amelia Amy Earhart, and her maiden name was Otis. She was born in 1869 and died in 1962. Amelia was the second child. She actually had an older sibling that was stillborn in August of 1896, which Aww. is super sad. Yeah. yeah. She later had a younger sister, Grace Muriel Earhart, and her birthday was 1899, so they were about, like, two to three years apart. So they were close. Yep. And she actually died in 1998. So oh, she wow. was almost 100 years old. Holy shit. Yeah. I didn't even like put two and two together when I read that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm not good at numbers. <laughs> A little information I'm going to add just about her sister just because you're going to hear her name and you're going to be like, wait, I thought her name was Grace and you're going to get confused about who she was. Yeah. Her sister was nicknamed Pidge. Cute. And, which is super cute. And she also went by her middle name, Muriel, from her teen years on. Oh, so, that's Muriel, Muriel or Pidge was her sister. Pidge! Yeah, Pidge. Little Pidge. Her, this is a quote from Wiki. Her upbringing was unconventional, as Amy Earhart did not believe in raising her children to be, quote-unquote, nice little girls. Which I love. Go, Amy. And that is why Amelia Earhart was such a badass inspirational Her woman. Her mom was cool as shit. Yeah. <laughs> so she was named after her two grandmothers, which was common back then, Amelia Josephine Hares and Mary Wells Patton. She was part German, so that's, that's where the Amelia and Mary came from. Yeah. She was part German. She was described as the ringleader when she was young. Cute. Her sister kind of just like followed everything she did. <laughs> Her nickname was Mealy and sometimes Millie, Aww. and I had read that she actually went by these nicknames her entire life. Oh my god, cute. Yeah. She loved adventure from a young age. Amelia and her sister Muriel would explore their neighborhood daily. They spent hours climbing trees, playing with her sister, hunting rats with a rifle, and quote-unquote belly slamming her sled down hills. <laughs> <laughs> So she was, like, rough and tumble. She was. That's so cool. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Amelia and Muriel would keep worms, moths, catydids, which are, like, similar to a cricket or a grasshopper. Gross. And even a tree toad that they found on their adventures. Oh. So they would just, like, hoard all these little creatures. Until they died, <laughs> I hope they fed them. <laughs> they love... Well, she loved the outdoors, as did her sister. She was considered a tomboy. And she loved to read and spent hours in the family library that they had in their house. No wonder why Basically, she was so smart. Basically, Amelia Earhart was me as a child. <laughs> <laughs> Red was outside. Yep. Honestly, though. Yep. So, in 1904, this is a quote from Wiki. With the help of her uncle, Amelia cobbled together a homemade ramp fashioned after a roller coaster she had seen on a trip to St. Louis and secured the ramp to the roof of the family tool shed. <laughs> Earhart's well-documented first flight ended dramatically. She emerged from the broken wooden box that had served as a sled with a bruised lip, torn dress, and a quote-unquote sensation of exhilaration. She exclaimed, quote, Oh, Pidge, it's just like flying. How cute is that? Oh, my God. I'm, like, obsessed with little Amelia. And they wait, should make a show about, like, her life. Amelia, like, a little kid show. They really should. Oh, my God. Oh Patting that. I know. Someone's <laughs> gonna steal my fucking idea. But I would watch that, especially since 
wait till you see we will post a picture of little amelia she is the cutest as a baby freaking child i didn't like see her as, as a child as a i'd say in the picture she's probably maybe eight to ten years old she's so Aww, cute i didn't see the picture of her as a kid yeah love her all right, so in 1907, her father transferred to Des Moines, Iowa for work. The girls actually remained um, with their grandparents in Atchison while their parents moved to a place in Des Moines. So during this time, the girls were homeschooled by their mom and the governess, just trying to, like, get things figured out mm-hmm. while they were in the middle of the move. By age 10, Amelia saw her first aircraft at the Iowa State Fair in Des Moines, and the legend was born. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. In 1909, the girls moved to Des Moines with their parents. They were there. They were then enrolled in public school for the first time. Wow. Yeah. I can't imagine that, going from being, like, homeschooled, homeschooled, homeschooled Your to whole being... Life. Yeah. Yeah. I That's don't know. That would be hard. And Amelia was actually 12 years old at this time, so she was being enrolled into seventh grade. In 1914, Amelia's grandmother, Amelia Otis, died, and the Otis house was auctioned with everything in it, and Amelia was pretty much heartbroken from this. She later described this as, quote, the end of her childhood. That's so sad. I have the chills. That's That's like the house she knew, and everything was gone. Like, all her memories, and... And she was so young. Yeah. In 1915, her father was hired as a clerk at the Great Northern Railway in St. Paul, Minnesota, She moved and entered Central High School as a junior. Her dad then applied for a transfer transfer to Springfield, Missouri. Um, And with unknowns up in the air, Amelia's Amelia's mother took the kids to Chicago to live with their friends. So they did a ton of moving around when they were little. That had to have been really hard as a kid. Yeah, you know, going from homeschool to one school to a different state, and Mm -hmm. it's just, I I wouldn't... No consistency. Yeah. Like, you can't really make friends because then you're moving again. It would be really hard. Yeah. So when they ended up moving to Chicago, Amelia was able to choose the high school she went to. Um, and she basically chose it wanting to find the best science program that was out there. Aww. So, good for her. What high school kid does that? I don't know, but good for her. Yeah. Well, she, I don't think that was a common thing to do, and she was like, no, this is what I'm doing. Yeah. And I think I had read that her high school that she chose wasn't even the one that was closest to where they she lived. She just did it. Yeah. she wanted the science. Yeah. yeah. She ended up enrolling in Hyde Park High School, and it was so sad, but she was miserable there. A yearbook caption said, quote, A-E, like initials, A-E, the girl in brown who walks alone. That makes me want to cry. That's so sad. Yeah. And then she became... The coolest person. So freaking cool. (laughs) Well, she was already cool, but everyone didn't realize that at first. (laughs) Right. So, a year later, because remember she entered that school as a junior, she, in 1916, she graduated from Hyde Park High School. Amelia always had big aspirations for herself, her for herself, and a little fun fact, um, quote, she kept a scrapbook of newspaper clippings about successful women in predominantly male-oriented fields, including film direction and production, law, advertising, management, and mechanical engineering. Badass! That's a wiki quote. Yeah, she was definitely like, I'm going to keep all these for my own inspiration, and I'm going to be one of these people. She's like, no matter what, I'm going to show that women can do what men can do. Yeah. And that's that. Yeah. So she started junior college at Ognott's School in Rydell, Pennsylvania, but did not finish the program. 
In Christmas vacation of 1917, Amelia visited her sister in Toronto and saw wounded soldiers returning from World War One. So there was a lot going on, aside mm-hmm. from her, like, trying to get her education at this point. Yeah. She received training as a nurse's aide from the Red Cross and started working with the voluntary aid detachment at Spadina Military Hospital. She helped prepare food and handed out prescriptions to the hospital dispensary. So she was like doing whatever she could to help at that point in time. Yeah. So 1918, this was during the Spanish flu pandemic, which is crazy that that was pretty much a hundred years ago. I literally told Brynn as I was like before we started recording, as I read that, I got the chills. Like, we're in the midst of a pandemic. Almost exactly 100 years later. (sighs) Yeah. So, she was fulfilling nursing duties that included working night shifts at Spadina Military Hospital. She actually became a patient suffering from pneumonia and maxillary sinusitis. Am I saying that right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, sinusitis. (laughs) She was hospitalized early November 1918 and discharged December 1918. And I had read that even though she was hospitalized, she actually dealt with this for almost, like, two months. Like, the duration of it. sinusitis is, like... That's, like, the side of your face here, kind of, right? Your sinuses, like, the maxillary ones are, like, under your eyes. Okay. So, she spent nearly a year recovering at her sister's house in Northampton, uh, Massachusetts. And during this time, she spent time reading poetry, learning to play banjo, (laughs) and studying mechanics. My God, what a well-rounded human. For real, though. And this is another quote from Wikipedia. Quote, chronic sinusitis significantly affected Earhart's flying and activities in later life. And sometimes even on the airfield, she was forced to wear a bandage on her cheek to cover a small drainage tube. She had it bad, man. That sucks. Especially with flying and, like, the altitude change. Yeah. So, in 1919, she was going to go to Smith College in Northampton, Massachusetts, but changed her mind and enrolled at Columbia University. Damn. She left a year later and went to California to be with her parents because at that time her parents had kind of, like reunited and she just wanted to be with them yeah so eventually she became a member of the national woman's party and an early supporter of the equal rights amendment (laughs) yeah she was like women's rights women's rights yeah and a little further down the line she became she became engaged to samuel chapman he was a chemical engineer from boston but she broke off the engagement november 23rd 1928 She ended up marrying a publisher, George P. Putnam, on February 7th, 1931. He actually proposed to her six times before she finally said yes. I love that. I know. I think she just, she was so about her independence and being, like, a strong-willed woman. I I think she, I had even read that when they got married, there was all this documentation that she basically made him, I think he had to sign it, saying, like, I'm my own person. You do. She did not take yeah. his last name. Like, really? she was like, like, this, I, I get to do this on my own. You, you can do this me. on your own. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's so funny. Yeah. So, she never had children of her own with him, but George had two sons from a previous marriage, David Binney Putnam, who was born in 1913 and he died in 1992, and George Palmer Put- Putnam Jr., he was born in 1921 and died in 2013, and she 
did take that role as their stepmom, and she, like, loved them. Oh, Yeah. That's so sweet. Yeah. So now we're going to move into her flying career. So around 1918, Amelia and a friend visited an airfield held by the Canadian National Ex- Exhibition in Toronto. A flying exhibition took place with a World War I ace, which is a military aviator. The pilot decided to dive the plane towards Amelia and her friend, but she didn't budge as the aircraft got close. I love that because <laughs> up from this guy, he's probably like, oh my gosh, look at these two girls. Yeah. I'm going to scare the shit out of them. And yeah. she was just like... <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Literally, (laughs) this is a quote from Amelia when it happened. Quote, I am sure he said to himself, watch me make them scamper. (laughs) I love that she said scamper. I did not understand in, I did not understand it at the time, but I believe that little red airplane had something to me as it swished by, said something to me as it swished by. So she was like, it spoke to me. That's so cute. As it swished by my face. (laughs) Right. As this guy was trying to scare the shit out of me. As the wing grazed my face. (laughs) December 28th of 1920, she visited an airfield with her friend, with her dad in Long Beach, California. Frank Hawks gave her a life-changing plane ride and charged her $10 for a 10-minute flight back then, obviously. Yeah, which I wonder what money, how much money that actually was. For a plane, yeah. You know? Right, because that's a lot, I feel like, for back then. Yeah. For a 10-minute flight. Yeah. Quote, by the time I had got two or three hundred feet... Uh, which was 60 to 90 meters, if you do meters, off the ground, I knew I had to fly. Aww. I wish I was so passionate about something like that, you know? that makes me want to cry. Right? She, like, knew her life's calling. Yeah, and she's like, I need to do this. Yeah. She started building her experience flying planes when she was in her 20s. She worked as a photographer, truck driver, stenographer at the local telephone company so she could save $1,000 up for flying lessons. This woman is so fucking inspirational. Yeah. She was so dedicated for what she wanted to do. She's like, I'll do anything. Yeah. And again, $1,000 back then, who knows how much money that was. Honestly, I really want to know. Yeah. We should have looked that up. Maybe we should. Our bad. (laughs) (laughs) January 3rd of 1921... She went on her first lesson at Kinner Field near Long Beach. Her teacher, Anita, or as people called her, Nita Snook, a pioneer female aviator who used a surplus Curtis uh, JN4 Canuck for training. So that was just the airplane. I love that a woman pilot also trained her. Yeah, and she was like the pioneer of female aviators. I love that. That just was already just meant to be divine intervention like yeah. setting her up for who like, she was gonna was be her mentor yeah that's so cool <laughs> i love this <laughs> amelia wore a leather jacket to fly and cropped her hair short like the other female flyers and a little fun fact so she was thinking that other aviators would be judging her so she slept in her leather jacket for three nights to give it that like warning look <laughs> dedication (laughs) she's like i will sleep i will sweat in in this this. weather (laughs) so the summer of 1921 which was six months later amelia bought a secondhand bright yellow kinner at airster biplane that she nicknamed the canary i love that a little cute canary airplane i love it yeah and i love how six months later she was already like i'm buying a fucking plane right (laughs) forgive me for fucking up the airplane names my dad would probably kill me (laughs) My dad was a pilot. He probably knows all of these airplanes. <laughs> well, we should have maybe also asked him before, maybe. but whatever. 
So here's some piloting accomplishments that Amelia did. October 22nd, 1922, she flew the Airster, remember her little canary? Cute. To an altitude of 14,000 feet or 4,300 meters, setting a world record for female pilots. So already she's like, boom, this is what I'm doing. She's like, I could do it. Yep. May 15th, 1923, she became the 16th woman in the United States to be issued a pilot's license, license number 6017, by the Federation, this is all, uh, it looks like French pronunciation, (laughs) or Spanish, I'm not sure, Federation Aeronautique Internationale. Nice, that was pretty good. Thank you. The FAI. (laughs) So, she had a transatlantic flight in 1928. After Charles Lindbergh's flight across the Atlantic in 1927, Amy Guest, who was another female pilot, Mm -hmm. was interested in becoming the first woman to fly or be flown across the Atlantic Ocean. She decided she didn't want to do it herself, but would sponsor it and told them to find another woman to do it. So, again, divine intervention. Yeah. April 1928, Amelia Earhart got a phone call from Captain Hilton H. Raley, who asked, quote, would you like to fly the Atlantic? Imagine, Imagine getting that call. How incredible. Oh, my God. That would be so cool. Yeah. So, she became the first female passenger to cross the Atlantic by airplane. She was accompanied by pilot Wilmer Stoltz and co-pilot slash mechanic Lewis Gordon. So, she actually didn't fly this plane. She was just a passenger in it. And it's I think still. I had read that it was because she wasn't used to something on that plane. Like, some mm-hmm. kind of mechanism, and she was like, I'll just I'll watch ride. For yeah, now. yeah. Which is still incredible. Yeah. She was a bit of a, a, bit of a celebrity because of this. <laughs> and when they got back to the United States, they received a ticker tape parade by the Canyon of Heroes in Manhattan. And they also had a reception with President Calvin Coolidge at the White House, which is super cool. Like, hey, just come on over to the White House yeah. after you flew and set, like, a record. That's so Let's cool. Let's have some, like, snacks together and yeah. talk about your flight. Have some sneaky snacks. <laughs> yeah. Maybe a little drink. And the United Press labeled her the, quote, Queen of the Air. <laughs> I love that. I want that title. Mm-hmm. So... She, she also accepted a position at Cosmopolitan Magazine as associate editor, which is a fun fact I never knew about Amelia Earhart. I didn't know that either. Yeah, and what she did with it, again, Amazing. fucking badass. She used this to, quote, campaign for greater public acceptance of aviation, especially focusing on the role of women a- entering the field. That's so cool. Yeah. Good and for her. And that was a quote from Wikipedia. So she was always just using her platform to, like, make a stand for women and the things that should be allowed and just using her power correctly, I feel. Because her mom, like, gave her that, you know? Yeah. That's awesome. So, in 1929, this is another quote, among the first aviators to promote commercial air travel through the development of a passenger airline service, along with Charles Lindbergh, she represented Transcontinental Air Transport, TAT, later TWA, and invested time and money in setting up the first regional shuttle service between New York and Washington, D.C., the Ludington Airline. So that she just cool was creating shit. all these opportunities and incredible things. She for, really did pioneer a lot of stuff. Yeah, though. she did. Yeah. So she also began partaking in competitive air racing. Love it. That's so bad. She's like, just flying isn't enough for me. I know, I need to race everybody. <laughs> 
Um, she became involved with the 99s, which was an organization of female pilots providing moral support and advancing the cause of women in aviation. Love it. And I had read that it was called the 99s because the first original, there were 99 women. Ugh. Isn't that so awesome? Not only was she a part of that organization, though, but she was the first president in 1930. So good. Yeah. Also in 1930, she became an official of the National Aeronautic Association. This woman so she's just building so up her much. resume. Yeah. 1931, she set a world altitude record of 18,415 feet or 5,613 meters, flying a Pitcom PCA 276. I don't know what that means. Auto gyro. Auto gyro. <laughs> Whatever that is. It's an airplane. <laughs> she flew an airplane. May 20th, 1932, Amelia piloted a Lockheed Vega 5B. <laughs> I'm so bad. She made a nonstop solo transatlantic flight. The flight lasted 14 hours and 56 minutes. <sighs> I don't think I could do that. 14 hours? Yeah. In a little tiny plane? Like, flying. Yeah. She was flying. And she was the first woman to achieve it. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, she received the United States Distinguished Flying Cross for accomplishing that. She also received the Cross of Knight of the Legion of Honor from the French government and the Gold Medal of the National Geographic Society from President Herbert Hoover. Oh. Yeah. She it. became friends with the First Lady, Eleanor Roosevelt. Yes! Do you like <laughs> Eleanor Roosevelt? Are you a fan? I just think that she was also a very powerful and inspirational woman in yeah. that time, especially when women weren't... It wasn't common for women to be able to speak up and stuff. Yeah. And, I, yeah, I love her. Yeah. And I love that they were friends. <laughs> and, like, BFFs. had fun together. <laughs> yeah. BFFs. Yeah. Um, Roosevelt even got a student permit after flying with Amelia. That's so cool. So she, cool. like, inspired her. So, 1934, fun fact, when the Bendix Trophy race banned women, she openly refused to fly actress Mary Pickford to Cleveland to open the races. <laughs> yes! She's such a badass! <laughs> she seriously is, and I had, I was like, who's Mary Pickford? So, I looked it up, and she was apparently a very popular actress back then in, like, black and white films. She's like, I refuse. Yeah, and she's like... I don't care. Okay, you don't want women flying here or being part of this, like, yeah. trophy race? <laughs> then you're not getting your speaker. Mm -hmm. <laughs> In 1935, actually January 11th of 1935, she became the first aviator to fly solo from Honolulu, Hawaii to Oakland, California. That's insane. She also became an advisor to aeronautical engineering and and a career counselor to women students at Purdue University. How did she have the time for all of this? I really don't understand. I, I barely have time to eat. <laughs> Between 1930 and 1935, Amelia Earhart had set seven women's speed and distance aviation records in a variety of aircrafts. I just don't get how she learned how to fly all of these aircrafts as well. As well. Like, how did yeah. you learn to do all of them? Yeah, because they are different. Yeah. Wow. She's just like... I hope it, I hope in my past life I was Amelia Earhart. <laughs> right? Yeah. That is know. one woman I would have loved to have been. What an incredible... Like, especially with having such a rough and kind of all-over-the-place childhood. Yeah. To become who she became is just so inspirational. Yeah, I agree. So now getting into her disappearance. <gasps> oh, God. Which is 
sadly this happened, you know? It is really I sad. I wonder how much more she would have done with her life. I think the mystery, though, like, is so interesting. Yeah. So in 1937, Amelia attempted to become the first female to complete a circumnavigational flight of the world. So circumnavigational, you're going around the world. <laughs> Ding. <laughs> she flew a Lockheed Model 10E Electra. She was flying with navigator Fred Noonan at the time of her disappearance, but we'll talk a little bit about first and second attempts before we get into the actual disappearance. Yeah. So her first attempt... The first leg was from Oakland, California to Honolulu, Hawaii. So she had done this before. Yeah. And, I mean, was accustomed to it. That's yeah. where she was supposed to start it. The aircraft ended up needing service due to technical difficulties, so it ended up at the U.S. Navy's Luke Field in Pearl Harbor. They attempted to take off three days later to go to the next destination of Howland Island, but due to technical difficulties again, which... I think that was the universe kind of being like, don't fly, don't right. fly. And the technical difficulties, like, there was a controversy of, like, what exactly it was, but, yeah. like, that was a whole nother story. So yeah. just know that there's some shit that went ha- that happened with the plane. Yeah, and know that we're covering as much detail as we can, but there is so much this more you can look surface. up online. This yeah. is literally the surface. If you're truly interested in this case and her story in general... Yeah. There's so much more online. So much. Yeah. So, due to technical difficulties, again, the plane skidded on its belly during takeoff and the runway was damaged. It's unknown 100% why the technical difficulties occurred. There are varying stories, as Kelsey just mentioned. Yeah. We'll kind of leave it at that. The flight was called off as the aircraft was damaged and it was shipped via boat to Lockheed Burbank facility for repairs. I'm sorry, I would not get in that plane again. Right? After I get, that. I'd be like, I'm flying something else or I'm not flying. Right. So Manning, Noonan, and Earhart were the crew of this trip. After the failed attempt, Manning, who was the skilled radio operator, took a leave of absence. So then it was just Noonan, which was her co-pilot, mm-hmm. and Earhart. Why at that point wouldn't you be like, okay, we need to get another skilled radio person on? Yeah. Because, like, that's a huge part. Right. You have people who can fly the plane, but then you don't have the radio operator. Right. That's like, I don't know. And, I mean, Amelia did not have experience as a radio operator. She had experience as many things, but not not a radio operator. Yeah. Yeah. So the second attempt, they were flying west to east with this attempt. Due to global wind and weather patterns changing along the planned route, they began with a flight from Oakland to Miami, Florida. And Fred Noonan and Earhart departed from Miami June 1st, 1937. They stopped in Southeast Asia, South America, Africa, and the Indi- an Indian subcontinent. Then they arrived at Leh, New Guinea on June 29th, 1937. That's at this, a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of flying. <laughs> at this point, there was 22,000 miles into the trip and 7,000 miles re- remained over the Pacific, which... When you look at the whole picture, That's a lot. they've done a lot of their trip already. They really didn't have as much to go. They really they didn't. They almost I mean, were completed. Yeah. Yeah. That's sad. So if you want to know more about the exact stops and miles flown, check out the resources on our links because there is a lot and yeah. it's all documented with her stops and where they went and literally like how many hours it took the exact like mileage how many gallons of fuel they had like yeah. literally every detail yeah 
July 2nd, 1937, this is the day that Amelia Earhart disappeared. Yeah. At midnight, Amelia and Noonan took off from Leigh, New Guinea, via the Leigh Airfield, in an attempt to fly to the next destination of Howland Island. They departed with 1,100 gallons of gasoline, and around 3 p.m. Leigh time, Earhart reported her altitude as 10,000 feet, and that they would reduce altitude to 7,000 feet due to clouds. The last known position report was near the Nukumanu Islands, which was 800 miles into the flight. There were tons of navigation methods that were used to guide her plane to Howland Island, but sadly the methods failed, which this is just like all, yeah, this all just came together in the worst way possible, I feel. It really did, and I read somewhere, I don't, I don't think we get into it later, but the 1,100 gallons of gasoline was more than they had done in the past. I think it was usually around, like, 900 to 950. Mm, so they had so, even more gas than usual. Yeah. Wow. I had also read that basically a system that was, I think maybe it was the navigation system or something, something in the plane was a new system that she also wasn't used to. Yeah. So, that also, another thing thrown into the mix. Mm -hmm. Apparently, there was a series of misunderstandings via radio navigation that was supposed to guide them into Howland Island, and there was a signal that was supposed to be transmitted to the Electra via RDF equipment, but basically, this RDF system broke on the prior leg of the trip. Again, it's like one thing after another to make the perfect storm. So, she, they could, um... They could not hear the signals that were being, and the messages being transmitted to the their plane, the Electra, but the people on the ground could hear them. Yeah. So they thought they were, like, getting no response or whatever. Yeah. Wow. And then they eventually found out, like, oh, shit. Oh, my God. So these are some radio logs from the trip. At 7.30, between 7.30 and 7.40 a.m., this message was received. Quote, Earhart on... Sorry, it's like in weird wording, just I guess to keep it short and sweet. Earhart on Northwest sees running out of gas, only half hour left, can't hear us at all. We hear her and are sending on, and then a bunch of numbers. So it seems like they were trying to say like, oh, she can hear us. And we're, re- we're replying back at the same time. Yeah. 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 So 7.42, calling, it's... Itsuka, we must be on you, but cannot see you, but gas is running low, been un- unable to reach you by radio, we are flying at a thousand feet. So they're letting them know that now that they're lowering so mm-hmm. they can hopefully see them and kind of guide them in. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's just scary to read I had that. also read that that Itsuka, the place that was they're transmitting to. Yeah. They were billowing smoke from their place for them to see, too, and they, like, literally couldn't even see that. I think it was a Navy ship, um, and they were, yeah, they were, they were pulling smoke from it for them to see, and it was, they were just not getting, like I said, there was, like, hundreds of different ways for communication. I read somewhere that they ended up actually doing, like, Morse code. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's down for a little bit further. Yeah, I think you put that further down. Yeah. So, um, 7.58 a.m., transmission said that she could not hear the itzka and ask them to send voice signals so at that point they were like okay she definitely can't hear us can you you know send something else other than that Mm -hmm. 
So this transmission was reported by the ITSCA and as the loudest possible signal, Earhart and Noonan were in the immediate area. So they so, knew that from that, that they were kind of like right there somewhere. Yeah, they were near Howland Island. They could not send voice at frequency she asked for, so Morse code signals were sent instead. So they were like trying to figure out anything to get messages across to them. Mm -hmm. Earhart said that she received these, but said that she was unable to de determine their direction from like the Morse code and where they were. They mm -hmm. were completely just turned around. And again, that goes back to her not knowing whatever system was in there yeah. properly. Mm -hmm. So 8.43 a.m. was the last known transmission. Earhart broadcasts, quote, we are on the line 157-337. So that was kind of a location marker, I guess, for them. We will repeat this message. We will repeat this on 6210 kilocycles. Wait. That's sad. That's really sad. And I feel like, I mean, obviously there's a lot of things that went in into all of this happening mm -hmm. but if they had someone who knew how to use a radio with them like the radio maybe expert? they would have had a little bit of a better chance of this not happening i wonder if he not that he should feel bad no Manning, no, no, no no but if he was like oh my god like this was the worst time for me to take my leave or the opposite like i wouldn't maybe this would have happened regardless yeah but also it's not his fault they should have provided no. them with a new person yeah they or they should have been like have. you're not flying until his leave of absence is He's done over. like that's kind of on the people who scheduled all Right, that. supported all of yeah. them. So after that last transmission, there were sporadic signals that were received from Electra. Again, that's um, Amelia's airplane, for five days after the disappearance. So investigators then came to the conclusion that to people receiving the signals, they figured out that they, you know, the plane was probably on land mm -hmm. because if they were submerged in the water, the radio would have shorted out and the signals wouldn't have been... For five days. Gone. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what they're thinking, you know, they landed on some kind of land and the, the plane was above water. So now we're going to get into the search. And again, this is broken down day by day if you want to go look at it. So there's just a synopsis of it. So, it began approximately one hour after the last recorded message. They were like, we got to get out there and start looking for them now. Mm -hmm. They searched north and west of Howlin Island. U.S. Navy came to help the search. And many different search efforts were brought in for weeks to attempt to find them and the plane. Official surf efforts lasted until July 19th, 1937. Wow. And they went missing yeah. in a second. So, they yeah. spent a good... Two weeks. Amount of time. And searching, they spent a lot of money. Searching all that area. Yeah. Amelia Earhart was declared legally dead on January 5th, 1939. Wow. That's... So sad. Really sad. Yeah. I had read, too, that... I, I think I mentioned this to you earlier. Back then, uh, until a certain point, I don't know when it wasn't anymore, but for a while, their search efforts where they spent... $4 million money, their time was like the most amount of money spent on any search effort during, for, for a long time yeah. until I don't know who, I don't know the next, the next biggest one, but yeah. it was like a lot of time and effort and money that they spent yeah. looking for her. Wow. So getting into the theories, there's the crash and sink theory. This was that Earhart and Noonan ran out of fuel searching for Howland Island and they crashed at sea and died. 
there was enough gas to get them to Howland Island and then some, as yeah. Kelsey mentioned. Yeah. So the signals received from the Electra were determined to never have left the Howland Island immediate area. So Coast Guard's first responders and first responders concluded that she ran out of fuel somewhere close to and north of Howland, and then Which they makes crashed. Sense. Yeah. Yeah. I just don't understand how they wouldn't have found the plane by now, with all the technology we have. I know. You know. I know. Like the Titanic's been found. I know. And actually, the guy who found the Titanic tried finding this. Airplane. Wow. Well, keep yeah. looking, man. I know. I think his name was Mike Boland. Don't quote me on that, but I think that's what his name was. Okay, and well, he tried finding the Titanic. Well, he did find the Titanic. Yeah. And he found something else. Something very important. <laughs> well, he needs to keep looking then because obviously he's our go-to guy. Yeah. Then there's the Gardner Island hypothesis. This assumes that Earhart and Noonan would turn south looking for other islands so they since they could not find Howland Island. Mm-hmm. It is thought that they made it to Gardner Island, which was past Baker's Island. When it was searched, no evidence of human life... There was no evidence of human life, but there was a SS Norwich City wreck that was there from years before. Yeah. And a side note, apparently there's a pic of this island in the picture, and years later, someone pointed out that in the water behind the ship, there was something that resembled a plane landing gear. I'm pulling it up for you now. Did you see this? No, I didn't. And we will post this for you guys to look at. So here's the picture. It's of, like, the ship. Uh Uh-huh. And then it's, like, a tiny, teeny little thing. I honestly don't see how it can be considered, like, a landing landing gear. Like, that's Uh, what they're saying. And it was sticking out of the water That's way too blurry for me to determine Yeah, right? I don't know. Yeah. So people later said it was rocks that were common to that area. Yeah. There was a skeleton found on the island in 1940, which people said could have resembled Earhart. It was determined from the bones that this person was 5'5 and short and stocky. And I have to actually add something in here right now because (laughs) (laughs) this whole thing pisses me the fuck off. Yeah. I... Have re- I have said this in another episode of ours. I think it was two episodes ago. We gave or three episodes ago. We gave shout outs to like different podcasts that we've been listening to, mm-hmm. and I mentioned the podcast Strange and Unexplained, and they did an episode of Amelia Earhart in that. Yeah. And in this episode, she mentions that the person who was I don't know if he was a coroner. I don't know if he was just a. Uh, person who studies bones, like a paleontologist type person. Yeah. I don't know. He was the one that determined that this person from the bones was 5'5", five, five, short and stocky. Mm-hmm. And apparently he was like, nope, can't be her, and threw out the fucking bones. What? I mean, what runs through people's minds? Why? Even if you think this isn't someone, number one, or isn't Amelia, number one, why would you throw out human bones instead of giving someone a proper burial or keeping them yeah. to determine who they are because either way wouldn't you want to know who the person was that was on the island right. he's like nah don't need them nope toss them in the dumpster yeah and this was because Earhart's license said she was 5'8 and 118 pounds okay but then years down the road this podcast mentioned that someone else analyzed I guess this guy, since he threw out the bones, they couldn't do DNA testing. <laughs> they analyzed his sketchings or something, or reports of them, and they were like, this actually could have been her. He, like, messed up a couple inches. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. They're so, like, this actually potentially could have been her, and now we will never know. Imagine being that guy. Like, that's a pretty serious job. Why would you just fucking throw the bones away? 
I'm sorry. If I knew his name off the top of my head, I would totally call him out right now because... <laughs> Jeff. Not okay. No, I don't really know his name. <laughs> not okay. So, the International Group for Historic Aircraft Recovery started an investigation to Gardner Island, Nick... Nikumaroro. Yeah, that's what it's known as now. Okay. Gardner Island was before. I hope I didn't butcher that. Nikumaroro. It's hard. It's tough, yeah. man. And they assume that they landed the Electra on a reef flat near the wreck of the SS Norwich City. Expeditions in 2007, 2010, 2012, and 2017 found the following. An aluminum panel, possibly from the Electra. Crazy. Piece of weirdly shaped plexiglass the same thickness and curvature of the Electra window. Like, what else could that be? And size 9 cat paw heels from 1930 that resemble Earhart's footwear. I wish we still had these fucking bones because this whole mystery... Could have been solved. Could be solved or ruled out and they could find out what happened to that person. That could be, like... Someone who's been missing for forever whose family doesn't know where they are. Right. And that person had to throw out the bones. those fucking bones. Like, what it, I just don't Rule number that. one, don't throw away human bones. <laughs> and just the disrespect in general. You toss someone out like they're a piece of trash, literally. Yeah. Like, oh, I don't need these for yeah. now. Just toss them. So they tried doing underwater investigations, but nothing has been found yet. And there is a two... 2019 National Geographic episode called Expedition Amelia that explores the Gardner Island theory. Yeah, so check that out. And I did read um, somewhere that one of her nephews, or great-nephews, um, supports this theory mm-hmm. and is, like, all for it. And, like, thinks it's her. Yeah. But... They will never know since we don't have DNA from those bones. They couldn't yep. even have, he couldn't even have kept a fucking sliver. I'm like sweating right now and I don't <laughs> know if it's because it's hot in here, which it is. It is 100 degrees. Or if I'm so worked up right now. Could I be. think it's both. Could be both. I think it's both. So now we're on to the Japanese capture theory, which this one scares the shit out of me. Yeah, this is terrifying. This theory states that Earhart and Noonan were captured by Japanese forces that were navigating to somewhere within the Japanese South Seas mandate. So, a 1966 book published by Fred Gomer, or Goner, said that they were captured and executed when they crashed in the island of Sapien. Let's hope not. Yeah. Let's hope not. This island is over 2,700 miles from Howland Island, so it was very far from Mm -hmm. what the people originally thought of how close she was to Howland. If anything, I I believe the other one more. Yeah. NBC series of Unsolved Mysteries, this gives me the fucking chills, Mm -hmm. in 1990 interviewed a Sapanese woman that said she witnessed Earhart and Noonan's execution. Like, is she doing that for fame? Probably. But, like, what if she's telling the truth? I don't know. I don't know either. I think the way they're going to be able to determine anything is to find, or at least rule something out. Yeah. Is to find out the things that they did find on that other island to see if they actually are parts of that plane. Yeah. Ideally, if they found, like, the black box or... Whatever they A serial number or something. Well... That's in another myth. Okay. Earhart's, some of Earhart's relatives believed that 
the Japanese were somehow involved in her disappearance. Mm. So that's just how they feel. They say that her plane was cut up into scrap and then thrown into the ocean. So that's how, like, they were able to hide it. I hope not. I know, but wouldn't that float? You know? I don't know. I don't know. In 2017, the History Channel documentary called Amelia Earhart, The Lost Evidence, proposed that a photograph in the National Archives of Jalut Atoll, Jalut Atoll, was actually a picture taken of Earhart and Noonan. So this part also gives me the chills. This picture showed a Caucasian male on a dock who appeared to look like Noonan, like he was the same stature and build of him, and then a woman sitting on the dock facing away from the camera with the same physique and haircut as Earhart. Okay, but at the same time, as we said earlier, like, many, especially women pilots, cut their hair like that back then. Yeah, but why would... I don't know. I Interesting. Don't know. I don't know. It, I mean, it could be any of these. Like, we, we may never know. I don't think we ever will. So, now I'm going to get into... Those are the main theories. These are some myths, legends, and claims that are kind of outside of those. So, a World War II era movie named Flight for Freedom, um, which was out, of, out in 1943 showed a fictional female pilot that was on a spy mission on the Pacific to spy on Japanese ordered by FDR. So that kind of sensationalizes the Japanese theory mm-hmm. of, like, she was captured by them or because she was spying she, on them. Or if they thought she was a spy, you know. Yeah. Immediately when I read FDR, I thought of New Girl. Yeah, and, uh, JFK, FDR. FDR. <laughs> yeah. If you guys know what I'm talking about, it's amazing. I love New if Girl. If you know what we're talking about, at us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> If not, you need to watch New Girl. So, um, this is another rumor that kind of went around. Um, basically said that Tokyo Rose was Earhart. So, Tokyo Rose is um, basically a propaganda radio broadcast. And Tokyo Rose wasn't one person. It was a bunch of English-speaking radio broadcasters that talked about Japanese propaganda. So I don't really know how that fits Why in there. Why would but... she be Tokyo Rose? Why would she have started a radio propaganda and disappeared off the face of the earth and never let anyone Just know what talked happened? talked about Japanese propaganda. Yeah, like that's what she decided to do with the rest of her life instead of completing her around-the-world flight. I don't yeah, think so. I don't really know how that got into it, but it was weird. So there's another theory that Earhart may have turned back mid... I'm sorry, this one's funny. May have turned back mid-flight and tried to reach airfield at New Britain, um, which was 2,200 miles from Howland. I don't really understand how this would be a theory. I think this is one of the ones that really isn't talked about. Mm-hmm. So, Donald Agwin, who was a vet of the Australian Army, contacted researchers, re- researchers stating that he witnessed a wreck aircraft, aircraft in the jungle. So, he also said that he found... A wrecked twin-engine, unpainted aircraft, which was the Electra, mm-hmm. um, and that there was a rough position on a map. The map was actually found in 1993 by another vet, but there was no success in finding the wreck based on what was on the map. I'm sorry. If you think you found Amelia Earhart's airplane, <laughs> why would you wait? You would know exactly where that shit is and, and show wait? people. Yeah. It and just, report it and have someone come find it right away. Yeah. There's no way. So, 
Uh, Angwin died in 2001, but investigators continued to look into the map. Um, and this part is a little weird about the serial numbers, but um, the map had serial numbers of 600H-P, S3HI, CN1055. Um, and it was said to represent 600 HP model engine. So that's where that first part comes in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the constructors, constructor, oh my God, I can't talk. Constructors. Constructors <laughs> number of 1055, which is an air firm identifier. And these were the numbers that were consistent with Lockheed Electra 10E. So... I guess it was a weird coincidence that on the map, those numbers matched up with her airplane, but couldn't anyone find that information? And, like, write it on there? Was yeah. it written on there or yeah. printed on there? it was written on there. He could have, like, just written that on there. I know. I don't get uh, that. that's weird. Okay. So, the last theory is that she had another identity. <laughs> a 2006 National Geographic channel aired an episode of Undiscovered History claiming that Earhart survived the flight and moved to New Jersey. She's here! If she was in New Jersey and changed her name to Irene... Oh, my grandma's name was Irene. Maybe she was Amelia <laughs> Earhart. <laughs> no. And changed her name to Irene Craigmile Bolum. Irene was a banker in New York during the 1940s, and she denied being Earhart and filed a lawsuit requesting $1.5 million in damages <laughs> back then. Eventually, Bolum's life history was documented by researchers, which eliminated the possibility of Earhart being Irene. No shit. Why did they just pick this random lady and be like, you are her? They're like, you have short hair and are wearing a worn leather jacket. You're right. Amelia Earhart. Like, why? I would be pissed. I mean, I would love to be called Amelia yeah. Earhart. I'm assuming she just kind of maybe resembled her, and then yeah. people ran with it because that's like, what people like to do. She actually went to New Jersey, and she's a banker now if after she, all of her life accomplishments. Yeah, because she wouldn't want to fly around the world and continue flying. She would want to fly part of the way around the world, go missing, and then become a banker in New Jersey. <laughs> she's like, I've had enough of the, the fame. The life of Amelia Earhart. <laughs> <laughs> had enough of the fame. Yeah. I really want to know what happened to her. Same. I... Literally, Maybe we could ask Laura. <laughs> yeah, we should. I literally love this woman. Yeah, she's cool. Love her. She's a freaking badass. She's cool. She is... She should be a role model to any young girl out there, mm-hmm. any girl out there, any woman out there, any man out there. Whether you want to be a pilot or not, I feel like she just, number one, made something of her life, even though she was in some shitty situations. Yeah. She lived by her own rules. I think just the passion behind everything, yeah. too, that fueled her was... Huh, pun. Fueled Yeah, her, fueled Was very, like, inspirational. I don't know. Yeah. And she... I mean, she was so dedicated with everything she did and just went above and beyond and yeah. fought for what she thought was right. Yeah. And had morals and yeah. was an incredible human being. And sadly, she had to be taken from us after... Not living much of her life, although living very big. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the story of Amelia Earhart. Hope you guys loved it. Yeah, it was a little bit of a different one, but we like to switch it up here so you guys don't get bored. Yeah, and I like when we throw the random history ones in. (laughs) Yeah, I do too. It makes me learn things. (laughs) Important things. That I should probably know. I mean, I feel like this is the stuff, though, that should be talked about in history class. Yeah. And, or if 
they could just do it in a more interesting way. Mm -hmm. Because learning history in school, I wasn't a huge fan either. No, they need to make it better than just reading a book about wars, basically, and learning from war mistakes. Yeah. You know? It needs to be more than that. And... Like, you need to be able to picture what the people went through and what they did. Right. And finding the right people to talk about. Yeah. Because, um, Christopher Columbus probably wasn't the best. (laughs) Just saying. And you spend, like, half a year on that man. Yeah, 1492, (laughs) we sailed the ocean blue. We know everything about this man who was not that great of a person. (laughs) But we'll leave that at that because this episode's not about him. Anyway, something that I wanted to mention before we cut this off... As many of you probably have seen, we have a new logo, (laughs) and we also have some new graphics coming your way. Yeah, we haven't released those yet. Nope, because we're waiting for them to be put on some new merch. Yeah. As mentioned, we wanted to have summer merch out. It's taking a little longer than expected because we had some snags here and there. Some technical difficulties. Yeah, but we have it figured out. And it will be coming for you. Yeah. Stay tuned because this is, like, my favorite. It's the coolest <sighs> graphics I've We're ever obsessed. seen. I'm obsessed with them. We are obsessed. We're probably... I want one of each. I know. It's so bad because we are going to be getting regular t-shirts at some point with these graphics on them. But mm-hmm. we're also going to be releasing limited Yeah stuff very limited very limited just to test the waters and see what you guys like what you don't like what we need more of Mm -hmm. so um get it while you can yeah honestly because (laughs) because we're probably taking one of i know i'm saying if it were me literally i'm gonna take one of each yeah so you guys are gonna be left with even more limited choice Mm -hmm. but um, we wanted to give a big shout out, though, to the girl and, well, the woman behind the design. The lady. Yeah. Erica, uh, she is one of my friend Hannah's best friends. Yeah. And I suggested to Kelsey that we reach out to her, and she came back with our vision Literally, perfectly. and it was, like, we sent her what we, we had in mind, and I'm not kidding, like, wasn't it that night? By the time I finished sending her stuff, yeah, that night. That night. She had our shit done. She was sick, first of all. (laughs) Did all of our stuff on her day off while she was sick, and then had, like, the most badass stuff I've ever seen. Yeah. I don't know how she did it. I know. She said she was so excited about it. Yeah. we were like, well, oh my god, we're so excited that you did this in a day. So if you do get stuff done by her, don't expect it done in a day. No. Because we didn't expect it done in a day. That was unrealistic, but she was just amazing. Yeah. So her Instagram handle is... E M Designs underscore Inc. Check so her out. You could probably just find her by searching E M Designs. Yeah. That stands for Erica Michelle Designs. Yeah, and we tagged her in our logo post, correct? Yes, we did. Yeah, we tagged so you her. Can check on that. And I also tagged her if you go to because I I made this new highlight because I'm like when we give shout outs I want to be able to save them to our highlights yes, instead of them just back. disappearing. Yeah. So I made a shout-out highlight, and she's also tagged under there as well. Cool. So check out her stuff. She just revamped her page, though, so there's not much on there in terms of things she's done. She had a bunch of stuff posted, and she's kind of revamping her whole page, so I'm Mm. sure she'll post examples soon, but 
She's incredible. We can vouch for her. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I'm so surprised at how amazing everything came out. Like, she did it so good. Yeah, and we cannot wait to work with her more in the future. Yes. More stuff to come from her. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, Erica. And I think that about sums up today's episode. Yeah. So, we'll see you guys next week. Yeah, until next week. Bye. Bye. regarding this case and our resources follow us at crime cults and coffee on instagram and facebook